So if you didn't know, uh, I'm a youth pastor, which means you guys are a little bit older than the people I'm used to preaching at. Um, and uh, I have learned that it doesn't actually mean that you have better attention spans than they do. It's just about the same. Um, but uh, if I may, uh, as somebody who is not neurotypical, uh, things that help me track my thoughts with a message uh, are very helpful. So what I started doing some time ago is uh, coming up with these little fill-in-the-blank sheets every time I preach. Um, and if you are like me, and you're like, yeah, my brain loves something visual that I can latch onto that helps me follow the message, I've got two options for you. I've got this QR code. So you can go ahead and scan that with your phone right now, and it'll take you to a, it'll take you to a, uh, uh, a fill-in-the-blanks, like, it's like an interactive sheet. If that's not your style, and you want to grab one of these, uh, I'll give one to you right now. And you can use just a you know, pencil and pen or whatever. Um, raise your hand if you'd like one of these. And perfect, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so uh, I I'm really excited uh, that Michael asked me to be here tonight. And I'm just going to set this here. Um, if you're curious why there is a two-liter bottle of A&W root beer next to me, you will find out you're going to have to be patient. All right? Um, but this is a, it's for an object lesson. Um, Michael messaged me and he said, um, hey, we'd like to have you come and speak at Thrive. Oh, can we get that QR code back? I don't have any other, whoa, I didn't know. Do they, do they still work when you do that? Oh. Nerd. All right. Um, <laughs> um, that's actually everybody. Everybody say hi, Seth. Uh, that's Seth. Um, uh, he's Luke's younger brother. It feels weird calling him little brother because he's <laughs> substantially taller. But um, yeah, Seth. Seth is not a young adult. Okay, he's actually one of our youth, um, and he knew that I was going to be preaching, and he was like, wanted to come and support his guy. So I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so Michael kind of gave you a little bit of the rundown. Um, so uh, I was brought on as a part of the exploratory team uh, with Tim Cedarland and uh, 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 what's his name, the, the lawyer. What's his name, Michael? Turnbull. Yeah, Mike Turnbull um, initially rounded a whole, a whole gang of us together and was just like, hey, there's a move of the Holy Spirit going on to get a young adults thing in Gig Harbor that is not... Uh, like centered in a particular church, but it's just sort of uh, available for, for any church uh, to, uh, to have something to offer for young adults. Um, and we were really excited to be a part of those kind of exploratory meetings and prayer meetings and worship sessions. And then when it finally started uh, in the cabin, uh, I was a part of, uh, of, of leading worship there. I was really sad to learn that the cabin is no longer like doing retreats. It got sold, and now it's just a place where somebody lives. That's boring. Um, I, I was talking to somebody, another, another former thriver, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's, somebody, somebody just lives there now. And I was like, that's stupid. Like, it was way cooler before when a bunch of people could get together and be on fire for the Lord. Um, when Thrive first started, uh, it was really fun. It, it kind of got some attention right away, um, and not all of it was good. Some people thought, uh, like, questioned the motives. They're like, why is it supposed to be another church? Is somebody trying to start a new church and then, like, get all the young adults away from the churches. 
Um, and I was just like, no, like that's, you're reading the situation totally wrong. Um, uh, and then we got some momentum and people started attending. And then rumors started spreading that it was just a Christian singles group. Um, which, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It was hard to deny that. Because of how many um, pairings. Uh, feels, I don't want to call them hookups. That means something else. Um, but yeah, so before there was Thrive, um, just like, I go way back with Tim Cedarland, okay? Um, all the way back to like 13 years old. Um, he ran a massive youth group out, way out on the Key Peninsula, which by the way, raise your hand if you know where the Key Peninsula is. Okay, mo I'm, I'm encouraged by this, okay? I'm used to encountering, don't take offense to this, but I'm used to encountering gig harborites that have, they've never been to the Key Peninsula. And I'm like, that's strange to me. Like, how can you not have been to a place that's like 12 minutes away from where you live? Um, you should go check it out. So if you don't go to the KP very often, that's what we call it, um, you should go check it out. Uh, and if it happens to be a Sunday, come and visit me at Waypoint. I'd love to say hi. Oh, th thank you for that. Thank you. I, <laughs> far be it from me to assume. That's good. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that youth group started and then uh, just for me personally, I, I graduated from Peninsula High School. Um, and from there, I, uh, my, my, my parents really encouraged me to go to college and I, I wasn't super motivated. I kind of just wanted to get into the workforce. Um, but my dad gave me this really cool talk and I was like, okay, fine, I'll go to college. And I ended up spending three years at a liberal arts school in Seattle, uh, which is a, a wonderful investment of a lot of money. Not really. Um, I, I just mean that private college is expensive. And it's, you know, if you're gonna do it, just get ready to pay off your loans. Um, majored in audio engineering. Um, and then when I got out of there, uh, while I was there, um, I, I really in earnestly gave my life to the Lord when I was about 15 years old. Um, but God kind of let me go on a, on a tether. Anybody else experience this where, you, you know, you, you have a relation with the Lord, but he, he's kind of like, like, you know, when a dog is on a leash and the dog just keeps on trying to go in the wrong direction, eventually God's just like, okay, you want to, you want to taste what the world has to offer? You go ahead, but I'm going to bring you back. Um, that's what he did to me when I went to college. Um, I was in a pretty nasty, toxic relationship. Um, and cr trying to just do what pleased the flesh and what made me feel good. Uh, thankfully, the Lord rescued me from that and just pulled me out of it, kind of violently, actually. Um, and uh, it was summer of, it was around May of uh, 2008 when around, this was happening, and I just was just free as a bird. And Tim Searland called me out of nowhere. He said, hey, do you want to come be a counselor at this summer camp, Soundview? Um, and, uh, which is a camp I had been to many times. And I was like, yeah, of course. Now, where I was at in my faith, the Lord had said, it's time to clean up your act. Um, I've rescued you from the path of destruction. And that's why you're here. And I just want you to focus on me. So I had this deal that I made with God. I was like, all right, God. I was in that relationship. I dated for a while. That's over. I was like, I'm going to be single for at least a year. That was my goal. Um, and uh, at that summer camp, I met Jessica, my wife. <laughs> um, and we were attending a young adult Bible study together that Tim Cedarland hosted. So if that was the precursor to Thrive, um, and if you're a single person going to Thrive going, what the heck, just hang in there. Uh, hang in there. Uh, there is hope. Um, and you know what? 
not everybody gets married, okay? I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know what kind of... I don't know what kind of messages you get um, from the people that you look up, up to in your life. I know a lot of churches kind of make it seem like if you're, if you're an adult and you're single that you're just waiting for marriage. That's like the next thing. Well, guess what? You can be an on-fire Christian who is walking by the power of the Holy Spirit that is preaching the gospel without being married, without having kids. Okay? Um, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, if you come out to the KP, pay me a visit. Uh, I went online. Which is funny, because I actually live in Port Orchard. Weird. Um, Port Orchard? Yeah? I heard a woo. I just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should see it. it. There's a lot of neighborhoods being built right now. It's frustrating, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, Michael says, can you preach on 1 Corinthians 13? And I was like, man, that's like the passage, the love passage. Like, that's okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, and I learned a little bit about what you guys are going through, like, just now. Um, when he said 1 Corinthians 13, like, I, I, I'm more of an, I, I, I preach exegetically, which means I like to just kind of go through whole chunks of scripture at a time and let that kind of guide. Um, so I sort of assume that you guys have been studying 1 Corinthians, but you just did chapter 12, right? But before that, what were you doing? No, I know. I watched it on the internet. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you guys do have a Twitter. I looked it up during announcements and I followed. I don't know if anybody's running it, but it's out there. Or somebody's a copycat and they took the green tree root thing that you have and no, they wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, I watched Tim's message because I wanted to be up to speed and I was like, dude, Tim, stop talking about 1 Corinthians 13. That's my message, dude. Like... And he even talked about chapter 14, too. So who do you have next week, Michael? You. Oh, congrats. <laughs> that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's enough of an intro. Um, I, I thought, <laughs> who are the poor people that Tim made stand up here for, like, 25 minutes <laughs> during his intro? Who, are they here? You are one of them. She's not here. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't come back either. <laughs> Who likes to read scripture? Um, those of us that have known Tim for a long time, we're like, yep, that's, that's about right. Um, and his message starts, and I'm looking at the little, you know, the, the little video time tracer thingy that goes on the bottom of the screen, and I was like, holy smokes. <laughs> but it's all good, okay? I'm not, here to, I'm not here to bash Tim. I would not be standing here before you if it was not for Tim Searland. All right, and so my heart in the ministry that I do and, and any, anybody that I get the chance to share with is to have um, even a fraction of the impact that somebody like Tim has on somebody's life, um, and I pray that for you as well. Let me say a prayer. I just kind of want to settle things and, and get us focused as we, as we go through this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you did not create us and just leave us as we were, that you didn't just make us to wander and struggle and lack, but that you made us to be in communion with you. God, I pray, selfishly, I pray for myself tonight, Lord. Would you just use uh, what I have to say here, Lord? Would these be your words, not mine completely? Uh, would, I, would I diminish in you increase? And for all of us, Lord, would you just open up our hearts and our minds to learn? God, I don't believe that any passage of Scripture, no matter how redundant it can be, is beyond new life. And so I pray that tonight. Would you speak to us? 
um, and eliminate distractions and just center us on your word in your name I pray. Amen. Um, so I'm a big fan of context. Uh, you guys, Tim did talk really good about uh, chapter 12. Uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians um, it, it's a little bit like a, uh, like, how many of you have like a bunch of siblings? Uh, so I'm the youngest of four. Uh, my brother is the oldest and then two sisters and then me. Uh, so, uh, if you're an only child, you might not understand this super well, but like when your parents like went on a long trip and they left the kids in charge, you know, they're like, Hey, we're going to be back in a week. And the kids are like, Oh, sweet. And so the kids can, but they say like, Hey, when we get back though, you know, we want this cleaned up and that fixed and, and, you know, here's your responsibilities while we're gone. And then they leave. And then the kids are kind of like, they don't know what to do with their, their newfound freedom. And so, you know, maybe they have a party, they do other things they're not supposed to do. And then usually it's the most responsible kid that around day three is like, hey guys, you know, they're going to be back in a few days. We should probably clean this place up. That's, that's probably kid number two, by the way. Are there any twos in here? <laughs> yeah. It's not the oldest. Sorry, Luke. Like, it's, they're not. They're just, they're, the oldest is not the person that's going to do that. It's probably going to be the second kid and they're going to, they're the responsible one. Uh, but even then, it won't be until like four hours before mom and dad are getting home that they're like, oh, shoot, we got to take care of this place. And, um, and then they get home early. Um, that's, that's kind of the vibe that I get from Paul. He's got so much to say to these Corinthians. I mean, they, they've got so much going on for him. They, they do. Uh, these Corinthians, there's some miraculous things happening in Corinth. But Paul sees all this and he's like, there is some cleaning up that needs to happen. And he goes through all this stuff, um, these problems that are creeping into the church. You know, Tim did a really good job talking about the, a lot of these are like recovering Greeks. I kind of resented that because I'm Greek myself. Um, but he means like in a religious sense, right? These are people living in Greece, right? And they're, they're taking ideas that came from their pagan beliefs in the Greek gods and kind of like making their Christianity like that, right? And Paul, uh, he, Paul's not having that. Um, he talks about uh, many parts, one body, right? That's a pretty, a pretty good uh, metaphor that he uses that helps us understand that. You know, like some, not everybody's going to do everything. And some, you know, some of you are only going to be called to do this and some of you that. Not everyone's called to preach. Not everyone's called to lead worship, right? The, a lot of these are callings that are, you know, they're kind of like up front. And so that they're sort of uh, considered high profile, if you might, if you may, um, but the other callings are no less important, uh, and, and we can't help but apply our own human. So we, we, we do what the Greeks did, right? We apply our worldly ideas of what we think puts value in a human being. We look at things like how attractive you are, how famous you can be, how influential you are, and we absolutely attribute basically righteousness to those things. Those are the people we want to influence, um, or that we want to be influencing our people. And that's not how it should be. Um, he uses this, Tim used this term, carnal Christians. These are Christians that flock to the flashy attention-grabbing gifts and ignore the others. Now, Paul de-emphasizes a particular gift. Who can tell me? What's the, there's one particular gift that Paul, like, he kind of, he doesn't, like, deny it. He just knocks it down a notch. The gift of tongues. Very good. So apparently tongues was a gift that was kind of being, people were using it to brag, all right? And I got to be honest with you, when I was about 12 years old, I visited a church in Tacoma, 
um, this really huge church. Um, I think they're under different leadership now, so it's probably okay for me to say this, but it was called the Church for All Nations. And a friend of mine went there, and she was like, you need to come to our youth group. And I was like, yeah, this is like an hour away from my house. It's probably not going to happen, but why should I come? And she was like, well, if you haven't spoken in tongues yet, um, then you're, you, know, you don't actually know if you're saved yet. So come, come to our youth group, uh, and then you'll speak in tongues, and it'll be great. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. Um, and I never went back there. And, and I don't know that I, I would have, you know, like after hearing something like that. Stuff like that happens. I mean, you laugh. It is funny. But this stuff is happening today. There are people saying this. Okay, I remember it really wasn't that long ago. Um, a student in my youth ministry who was just on fire for the Lord. Um, he was leading a Bible study in a school. And he was just so excited. But then he encountered this group of people that told him, like, wait a second, you haven't, you haven't experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit where you speak in tongues? And he was like, well, well no, I, I've never done that. Well, they're like, you're not saved then. And so he calls me doubting, and I was like, bro, you're on fire. Don't listen to that. That's not, that's not who you are. That's not what you're about. So I think maybe we have a little bit in common with the Corinthians at this point. He lists some things. Jealousy, selfishness, impatience, cruelty, harshness. If these sound like the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22, it's because they are. They have no place in the body of Christ. By the way, you're going to hear, hear me bounce off of Galatians 5 quite a lot. Okay? Maybe even ad nauseum, which means I said it so much that it makes you want to throw up. Okay, so the next time you hear that phrase, ad nauseum, that's what that means. Um... <clears throat> Paul seems to be chasing down a number of issues that the Corinthians have, and in chapter 13, he knows exactly how to refocus and recenter their attention on the things that are most important to Jesus, and he brings it back to love. So this is a simple message. Um, this is, you guys probably know this, but this is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. Um, it looks really good on, like, you know, like on Pinterest. Uh, it's, you know, really nice to, like, you know, you go into somebody's, like, bathroom and it's like in this little plaque it's it is it's a beautiful passage of scripture you guys it really is um uses some poetic prose too um and we we were so we're if you're in church culture you you might be used to this passage Uh, and we hear about love all the time and we should love is integral and central to the mission of jesus christ but we so often hear about the hypocrisy of a christian living without the love of god overflowing in their lives. And I'm going to key in on that word overflowing. The word of, of Christ's love, of God's love coming into our lives and spilling. Think about that. Okay? Pay no attention to the root beer. Now, as I was kind of just doing some final praying right here during worship, um, your, guy, your guy Will came over to me and prayed for me. It was incredible. Well, um, but right before he came over, I was just thinking in my mind, like, man, love. What is the opposite of love? Hate. Yeah, you know, that's the first thing I thought, too. But I was like, you know, I don't Maybe, in, Maybe in, like, in terms of, like, how you perceive a person, like, you love them or you hate them or you love a thing or you hate a thing. Um, but if I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 13, I kind of think the opposite of love is actually fear. Because fear is what gets in the way of me loving a person. 
If there's a person that fits in a certain category, a certain type of person, a person that looks a certain way, talks a certain way, believes a certain thing, that I, I, I'm uncomfortable occupying the same space as them, that's called fear, isn't it? And if I cut that down, if I say get rid of that nonsense, this person is made in the image of their creator and perfectly deserving of conversation and relationship, right? A lot of us, just to point to a specific issue, a lot of us are actually afraid to engage with our homeless people um, that are among us. And there's, there's more now than there ever has been in my memory. And uh, the Union Gospel Mission of Seattle says that giving money or food is counterproductive. It says that if you actually give them stuff, it actually does not help them. And I'm like, well, then what do I do? Well, the director of the Union Gospel Mission of Seattle, he says, it's very simple. If you actually care about this person, have a conversation with them because that's what they're lacking. They're lacking connection and relationship. So start there. And I think what stops a lot of us from initiating that conversation is Fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, it's really easy for me to stand here and say, well, you need to love each other. Love is a generic term. To understand love as it's used most of the time in Scripture, which, it, spoiler alert, it's not about the romantic kind of love. Uh, all, all, all the same rules apply here, okay? Um, but we can only do this by intentional study of God's Word. Um, Love is never meant to be taken generically or openly, and it's never to be defined by us. Rather, we look to God for our definitions. So don't look to the world for your definition of love. The world does have its own definition of love, which is not completely wrong, because guess what? The world's idea of what is good and right, the parts of that that they actually get right, they borrow from the real thing. Remember, Satan, Satan is in this world, right? And he's prowling around and he's doing his thing. Everything that Satan does is an imitation of what God does. That's all he can do is copy. There's nothing original about him. All he can do is take what's there and make a counterfeit version of it. So we see that when we look around. Um, one thing we do know about love is that's the primary noun used for the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody remember? Can somebody right now, stand up if you can do it. Tell me the fruit of the Spirit listed off for me from memory. Go for it. That's incredible. I loved it. No, that's what I do. That's what I do. Um, it's a slightly different song, but the fruit is love, joy, peace. You know, we go through it. Um, so I'm going to throw uh, maybe, maybe a new concept. This might not be new for you, but it might be. In that, that list, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it lists them off. Well, a friend of mine who just came back from seminary, he told me, hey, I learned something new about that passage. And that's like punctuation from the original text doesn't really carry over. But what we might see understanding that passage it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then there's a semicolon. And then it lists all the other things. So what if we said it that way? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. Put those things with love. Peace with love. Patience with love. Joy from love. Right? You go through all those things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Overflowing. Once again, don't look at the root beer. Okay? 
So we can understand that a life of love of God, as God defined it should be full of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we're not in Galatians, we're in Corinthians. <laughs> and while in Galatians, Paul breaks down the outpouring of love in our own lives, Paul's message to the Corinthians is closer to breaking down the actual characteristics we see in love itself, and that's why it is called the way of love. Now, 1 John 4 Verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And we should, I should remind us again that we're talking about God's love. We're not just talking about a generic love. Okay, you're saying like, well, I love somebody once, so that means I'm of God. Mm, it depends what you meant by love. Okay, we're talking about a godly love. Let's go ahead and read this beautiful passage that God gave us together. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends, for as prophecies they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So besides being beautiful in its writing and even having poetic prose, it's a soothing passage, isn't it? I, mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if any of you guys partake of poetry and stuff like that, but these words, I've read this passage I don't know how many times, and every time I read it, it feels like, like, like my soul was 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 sunburnt and and somebody came along with like some aloe vera or something you know that's just the first example that came to my mind you can use something else but this passage is foundational in our understanding of what it means to love in this context love is an action not just an ideal the passage is divided into three paragraphs the first paragraph tells us or primarily okay the first paragraph tells us of the futility of anything good in our lives that aren't done with love. Now, you guys are talking about gifts and the Holy Spirit, okay? And, and you, you know the context now and who Paul is talking to, people that have lost sight of their priority. They have the gifts, and then they're not bad. We're not dissing those gifts, okay? Being a martyr, you, don't, you look at there's other places in Scripture that talk about like, like what high position we should hold people who are willing to give up their lives, but it says if there's no love, it's pointless. 
absolutely pointless. The second paragraph tells us about the action of love and the characteristics of that action. So if you want specifics, what is love? What is God's love? Not the world's love. He gives us a list, and I love lists. Anybody else like lists? I love organized information. It soothes me. And so what I did is I made two lists. I made a love is list, and then I made a love is not list. So on the love is list, love is list, we have patient, kind, truthful, bearing, believing, hoping, and enduring. Does that kind of sound like the fruit of the Spirit? kind of does. Weird. And then the love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, self-centered, irritable, resentful, or negative. I love this passage because those right there, and, and this is the same reason why I love Galatians 5, is because anytime you're looking at the way somebody who is doing something in their faith, like a Christian is behaving in a certain way, and you're not sure if it's right or not, you can run it through this filter and ask yourself, is it this? Are they exuding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or, or on the other side, is this person envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, self-centered, irritable, resentful, or negative? Because if that's true, it's really hard to reconcile that, right? You guys see what I'm saying? We are given a way to determine these things. Now, verse 7's active verbs are not generic. All right? They are love's posture toward the person being loved. When you love someone with this love, you bear with them. You believe in them. So I, I, that, that, that verse used to confuse me. Why does it say that? Believes all things. Love believes all things. I'm not supposed to believe all things. I, I don't even have to think very hard. I can list five things I'm not supposed to believe, right? And yet this says, believes all things. But this is talking about your posture toward a person. You believe in them. You have hope for them, and you endure all things with them. If you ever find yourself in a position of providing counsel for somebody, or somebody who's hurting, somebody comes to you with trauma, or something they're going through, they need a comforting word, look at this. Let this be your guide. You, do, you endure all things for them. And the third paragraph shows us the finality of this love and serves as a bookend of sorts with the first paragraph. Verse 8 calls out three things that are good in and of themselves, but that the Corinthians had idolized lovelessly. And that's prophecies, tongues, and the last one is knowledge. And finally, in verse 12 gives us this wonderful image of seeing in a mirror dimly the things of reality. This is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. It also happens to be the verse that the t-shirt I'm wearing is referencing. Um, it, if any of you guys know about, shout out to Agape Attire. My boy Josiah Hubbard owns that company. You guys should check them out. I am not sponsored. Actually, I kind of am because this shirt was free. Shirt, shirt was free. I said shirt, right? Okay. Yeah, this shirt was free. So I guess it is kind of a sponsorship. Yeah, anyway. Um, this is one of my favorite verses because I I am somebody who overthinks things, and I love, uh, my favorite genre is science fiction. Any other sci-fi lovers out there? Um, is anybody else in here like, like a serious nerd? Like not just for like, like fictional content, but I mean like, like theoretical physics, f physics. Like you're interested in this, like you want to know about like time travel, wormholes, that, you know, large uh, collider, what's it called? I don't remember. Hadron. I just know I was going to say it wrong. I know what it was. I just, I, this verse, man, 
This is an unintended lesson, by the way. Slight, slight detour here. Don't be disheartened by things that you don't fully understand. Paul talks about seeing in a mirror dimly the things of reality. Don't be disheartened by things you don't fully understand and struggles that seem pointless and without end. Why would we look at the world that we live in and the struggles that we deal with and the evil that we see that breaks our heart? And then we go to God and we ask him why. That's not wrong, by the way. Go to God with those things. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. But also remember that what you're seeing is in a mirror, dimly. Um, there's a thought experiment that a Greek philosopher of all things came up with, and they did not intend it to bring glory to God, but they did it, all right? It's an allegory written by Plato, and it's called The Cave. Raise your hand if you've heard of Plato's allegory of The Cave. So it's actually a whole book, but lightning fast recap, there's this thought experiment where a bunch of people are tied up in a cave, and they're all tied up so that they're facing the wall. And all they've ever experienced is this cave. They've never lived outside the cave. They know nothing other than the wall. And all they see, they can't even turn their heads. I know, it's kind of messed up. You're like, your whole life? Couldn't turn your heads? Just follow, okay? All they see is shadows. So there's light coming from outside the cave. And pe there's people moving around out there. And they see the shadows moving on the wall. And that's all they see. They know nothing of reality. And then one of them manages to break free. He breaks loose and he turns around. He sees light for the first time in his life. And then he walks out of the cave and he sees the world. He sees people. He sees the sun, mountains, trees, rivers, dirt, animals. And he turns around and he goes back into the, case, into the cave and he says, you guys, there's a whole world out there and we couldn't even see it before. And they tell him, you're crazy. You're nuts because what you're saying doesn't even make any sense. You know, I think some of our brothers and sisters that have passed on and have gone home with the Lord, if they were to come and visit us again and tell us what they were seeing, I think it'd be like that a little bit. Like, what? I'm, I'm the guy staring at shadows on the wall here. All I can see is what's in a mirror dimly. But a day is coming when we're going to see in full and we're going to understand. And then verse 13 finally wraps it up with three remaining gifts. Now, these gifts are not like the other gifts where only some people get them. Like only some people get tongues. Only some people get prophecy, right? Stuff like that. These are guaranteed to everybody. All Christians are going to get these. Faith, hope, and love. And he says, but the greatest of these is love. As you are well aware, chapter 12 was all about spiritual gifts, which is a whole series in and of itself, but Paul's intention here is to bring the focus back to three gifts that are universal to all Christians, not exclusive to some. And this, well, now it's time for the root beer, okay? And that's just, I, okay, let's do this. I, I'm going to bring this over here. I didn't really, usually I have a headset for this part, so I'm going to do this. All right. Look at this. Isn't technology amazing? Spectacular there. Okay. Um, this is a A&W root beer. Um, the first time I did this, it was with like the Kroger brand. So this is a step up, right? Um, but uh, I did not practice this, just so you know. Okay. That's the first hurdle. I want you to 
imagine that that root beer is God's love. And even though this violates the laws of physics, it is a limitless source of root beer. Like, I could turn it upside down, and it would be like a garden hose. Like, it's not... And these guys, this cracked me up. I'm sorry, this is a distraction, but whatever. You've got to deal with my brain today. Miniature red solo cups. Like, I was at the grocery store looking for, like, the little, like, Dixie cups, and I saw these, and I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I know what they're for, guys. But today, we use them for God's glory, all right? Uh, <laughs> and I just, yeah. Um, so this is what I'm going to do. I just happen to have a Sharpie here in my pocket. And uh, this cup right here is, uh, which one of you wants to have your name on a cup? Daniel? Those are all names of people that are in my, on my leadership team. <laughs> so I, you're Daniel or Lydia? I, <laughs> you're Daniel. All right, Daniel. D. Hey, we're just going to go with Dan. All right. There's Daniel. Now, somebody else. Tell, what? N Nolan? Like, like Nolan Ryan? Ooh. Cool. All right, Nolan. Um, give me uh, someone, and, and, and be, be sensitive about this, but somebody that maybe Daniel has a hard time loving. Or you could just make something up. I don't care. Or, or how, about, how about this? How about this? Anybody, any, anybody, uh, give me like a, like we don't want to stereotype here, but what, a type of person that maybe, maybe, uh, what? Coworker. There we go. Now we're talking. See, for me, that would be my head pastor. You know what's funny? If you start writing coworker, you have to start by writing cow. <laughs> I didn't know that until just now. All right. Coworker. We got coworker. Um, and then just imagine other things on the rest of these cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't want to say out loud. The, oh, I don't want to say out loud the person that I hate, wise, uh, but just imagine, you know, think, think about it. So, so like, so like for my dad, okay, this is political comment incoming. Okay. My dad is really into his politics. Uh, I'm not going to tell you like my, my side of the, I, I, I don't care about like political spectrum stuff. Okay. But my dad is extremely conservative. So if I'm doing this sermon for my dad, um, which I did, he was at church last time I did this, I wrote on the cup, uh, liberal Larry. Okay, I wrote that down. I said, Dad, you need to learn how to love liberal, or it might have been Leon, I don't know, or, or Donnie Democrat or something like that. So, so you think about that yourself. Like, who's a, who's a person you just don't understand? You don't understand why they think that. They, you know, like maybe a, maybe a famous person you see on TV, you're like, or maybe a, a certain governor, maybe? I don't know, just uh, president, maybe? Whatever, from any era. Okay, I'm not, I'm not picking sides here, but you can imagine that yourself. And uh, we're going to go to the source of God's love, this root beer bottle. I'm going to not spill it. I, I want somebody to tell me, how can Dan deliver this to them?
don't spoil the message. I'm just kidding. You're right. But just let's, let's, let's look at it. That You are absolutely right. That is going to be the ultimate goal here, okay? Um, but what I find most of us do is that we don't go to the well. What we like to do is go and fill up and then go do our own thing, right? So what we do is this. I couldn't not. We like to go and get our fill. And so now, Dan, I, it's not 100%, but it's like, it's right there, okay. And Dan goes, okay, I need to go, I need to go show love to my coworker. And so he goes, now they're both half full. And if Dan tried to do that with the rest of them, I mean, they may as well not have any root beer. You guys see where I'm going with this? And this, this doesn't work unless we demonstrate it. And so I'm going to try to build a pyramid out of little cups. I love your confidence. It doesn't, it doesn't work with miniature red solo cups. <laughs> messy. It didn't get on the floor, but science says that you might forget every single thing I said, but you will remember that. And as funny and messy as this is, I want you to remember this, that when you think about loving your neighbor, whether it's somebody who's easy to love or hard to love, that it's not you loving them. It's you Opening yourself up to God's love and allowing it. So the active verb here, instead of saying, I'm going to try to love my neighbor. That sounds like I'm generating it from my own strength. Is that going to work? No. It might work a little bit like the first time with the coworker. Like, okay, I went and got full. I went to a church service. I went to Thrive. I got charged up. And then I left and I kind of did my own thing. And I saw my coworker. And I, I shared some love with him, but then I realized that I was out of steam myself. Or we stop thinking of love as something that we must do, and instead of seeing see it, and instead see it as something that we allow to overflow. And God's power becomes evident. So I'm going to wrap it up with this, and then send to your small groups. As a Christian, are you a, are you a follower of Christ in the family of God? 
If so, then you have faith, hope, and love, those three gifts that are guaranteed. The fruit of the Spirit is in your life. You simply let it flow. But the greatest gift you've been given more than anything else is this gift of love. And I recommend, I gave the same challenge to our our youth group kids, and I'm going to tell it to you because many of you, I'm not going to see you for a while probably because we just go several ways and that's how life is. But I challenge you to read this passage regularly. Okay? We've got the whole Bible, and it's a gift. Every verse is a gift in the Bible. This passage, I believe, would nourish our souls if we'd read it weekly. In fact, I went through a, when I first did this, I went through a, a kind of a test of myself where I read it every single day. Every morning I read 1 Corinthians 13. And just a warning, if you find yourself getting sick of it, going like, oh, I have to read this again, that is your first sign that you need to read it again. So I challenge you, and I recommend that you read this passage often, but understand, Christian, that the thing that sets us apart from the world is our love. And that love comes from God. The urgency is not on us to act but to stop preventing God's love from moving us. Acting is going to come. Our actions are going to follow. You, Christian, uh, it, you know, if you're proactive, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you are going to get a fire lit, un- lit under your rear end, and you're going to get up and walk in accordance with the Great Commission. But that's not your effort. That's not your power. That's not your ability. That's the Holy Spirit. It's God. So think of yourself as like a, a valve. And you're just, you're just opening it up. And the cool thing is, is that you get to be this guy. Look, the surface tension of the root beer is making it so that it's like, a, it's like concave. Like, I don't know if there's an object lesson there. That's kind of neat. But I want to be like that where it's just, I'm, con- I'm not just like going to get filled. I'm not running back and forth trying to deliver God's love. No, I'm actually just letting it overflow. That's what I'm doing. Um, I didn't say, are you guys doing small groups? Okay, I, did, I, I didn't send any questions, but I have some. If, if you're a note taker, you can jot these down. Um, I mean, I'm sure your small group leaders can, can lead you in wonderful discussions without my help. Um, but here's just three things to think about. Number one, how does God's love differ from the world's love? And I want you to be specific using the adjectives found in chapter 13, okay? So I don't just mean generically how is it different, but like the world has an idea of love which is sort of good, sort of bad. Like when, when John Lennon says, uh, all you need is love, like he's right, right? But he doesn't have a complete definition of what love is, right? Um, and the next thing would be um, to spend some time together uh, in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what areas in your life should change to allow love to be the driving force in how you perceive others. So remember what I said earlier, about seeing somebody, when you look at a person, instead of seeing whatever it is about them that you don't like, see image bearer of God, somebody not not worthy in the sense that they've earned it, but worthy because they're an image bearer of God, but worthy of love. And the last thing would be to spend time exploring the phrase, just because I think this is so rich for us to do as Christians, spend some time exploring the phrase, see in a mirror dimly, and its implications on your own reality. Um, I'll just say a quick prayer, and then I think Michael's going to come up and say things, 
or I don't know what you guys do next after this, but I'll pray. <laughs> God, thanks for this day. Thank you for who you are and what you've done, and thank you for your word. And thank you for all the young adults that are here, and I just pray that you would be with them in their small group discussions, and would your Holy Spirit just fill this place and fill their hearts, and uh, just draw, into, draw us into an ever closer walk with you, Lord. Amen.